Hello and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast. This is volume 8, issue 354 on Hitman. You can play along with the show. You'll find the full list of upcoming games for the whole of volume 8 at caneandrinse.com on the website. But the next five, just FYI to wet your whistle a little, are Street Fighter 4 series, then Near Automata, then we have continuation of Final Fantasy series, Final Fantasy 8 coming up. After that, Captain Toad Treasure Tracker, whether you played on Switch or Wii U. And then Super Ghouls and Ghosts, again, going back to another series of games that we have touched on before. You can get the show a week earlier than non-subscribers for just $1, which is about 77 pence or 88 euro cents at the moment. Uh, that is at patreon.com forward slash rinse. If you'd prefer to leave us a tip for our hard work without going through Patreon or anything like that, there is a PayPal link on our website. It's not just Kane and Rinse. We also have Sound of Play, which is released on Wednesdays, and The Sausage Factory, where Chris interviews generally indie devs, but devs of all shapes and sizes. That comes out on Fridays. It would be wonderful if you would subscribe, review, and rate, also on Spotify now, uh, the podcast's all three of them really on wherever you get your podcasts from you can follow us on Facebook Instagram and on Twitter for the latest Kane and Rinse news and gaming news in general that covers our intro so joining me I'm James Carter in issue 354 are Brian Edwards hello hello John Salmon hello and Joshua Garrity hello there you three guys are probably looking a bit terrified at the series recap I've put on here because there's a lot of information there. Uh, to start off, I wanted to say we have talked Hitman before, but that was uh, Hitman Blood Money, which was released in April 2006 and we covered back in Volume 3, Issue 131, so a good long while ago now. But I think it kind of informs where this game's coming from and certainly where my feelings about this game are coming from to talk about where... The Hitman developer IO went in the time since then. Obviously, what what came out before Hitman Blood Money we talked about in that issue, but since then, uh, IO released Kanan Lynch Dead Men. Then shortly thereafter, four co-founders and six other employees left to form another studio. IDOS was purchased by Square Enix. Then Mini Ninjas came out, and after that, as is becoming a bit of a pattern, the graphic department was outsourced to Shanghai, and 35 employees were let go. Then another game release, Kanan Lynch 2 Dog Days, that was in 2010, immediately after which 30 employees were laid off. Uh, a second IO studio was opened in 2012 and one month later uh, rebranded and changed to a mobile game studio. Then was, I think in amongst this, probably the highlight for me, <laughs> Hitman Sniper Challenge was an Absolution pre-order bonus um, that sadly outshined its uh, its main game Hitman Absolution that's in 2012 that came out um, kind of split the difference between this and Blood Money and as seems to be a bit of a trend here after Hitman Absolution was released another 70 employees at that point half of IO Interactive were let go and it was announced that IO would work solely on Hitman that was June 2013 since then Hitman Go and Hitman Sniper were both mobile games released by Square Enix Montreal so developed by Square Enix Montreal um, I really wanted to kind of relay that because there's the games that have been released there we haven't covered, so we haven't talked about this, but it does paint a bit of a picture of IO, not necessarily the, the publishers who are in charge of IO, the owners of IO, not really knowing how to 
handle that studio and where to best focus them. Um, and I thought it was worth just kind of very quickly running through that and giving a picture of kind of what happened and as they went from game to game and lost quite a lot of their staff, actually, um, it, during that time. We have our first forum correspondence that I figured fitted kind of nicely here. Uh, Brian, I wonder if you'd be kind enough to read this one, please. Mechner from the forum says, Hitman 2016 is an absolute return to form after the abysmal absolution. And whilst at first I was a little annoyed and scared of the episodic nature of the release, I must say it kept the game fresh all throughout that year for me as I regularly returned to play new missions and try out the exclusive targets. Long may this gameplay and mission style continue into the future of the series. I don't think that's necessarily typical that people think Absolution was abysmal, but uh, we'll... Yeah, as I said, mm. it's pre-order bonus outshone the game for me, so uh, I, I wasn't too hot on it. And that kind of, I think, sets up a flavour of where some people, some fans of uh, the Hitman series in particular, were at after Absolution and in the run-up to, to this game coming out. I've heard less um, abysmal being thrown around and more disappointing because it was a bit further of a step away from the previous, I guess, four games um, and was another victim of a bit more leaning into action rather than its original genre. So and yeah, I wasn't mad keen on it, but I wouldn't I wouldn't call it abysmal. It was just not the same thing. It wasn't what I wanted out of another Hitman game. As you say, Io are the only people who seem to do this to this level. And I've been looking forward to Hitman for I guess six years at that point. So I was quite disappointed by it. We'll get on to how we came to this game in a second. Uh, for right now, as opposed to the spoiler warning, which will come later, I wanted to give a title warning. I'm one of those who is adamant that there has never been any other game called Hitman. Uh, amongst, uh, certainly when I'm talking about the games, certainly when I see anyone else talking about the games who has been with the series since the beginning. The first game's called Codename 47, the second game is called Silent Assassin, then it's Contracts, Blood Money, Absolution, and this one's called Hitman. Uh, so it doesn't need the 2016 qualifier on there. I understand to a lot of people this is another instance of Tomb Raider 2013 um, of a reboot that kind of just used the same title. God of War would be another one. Doom, absolutely. But I'm quite happy to call this Hitman and know that it's called Hitman. So apologies if I just refer to it as Hitman and don't clarify that I'm talking about this game. Uh, it shouldn't be an issue because this is going to be the game we're talking about for the whole recording. So, As I have alluded to, IO Interactive are the developer of Hitman. Aside from a couple of mobile games, they have been the developer since the series Inception with Codename 47, as I mentioned. Uh, and Kanan Lynch and Minion just are the other games that they have developed. The only other one uh, off the top of my head is Freedom Fighters, um, which they still own the uh, IP for as well. Uh, publishers get a lot more complicated with this game though uh, Square Enix owned Eidos from just after absolute, uh, just after Blood Money came out right, right around that time, 2008 I think somewhere in there um, and so they de facto own IO as well they were the publishers for the initial release and the complete first season first physical release of the game Except for Feral Interactive uh, provided their expertise in OS X and Linux releases of the game. IO Interactive themselves published, published even the um, publisher, definitely not a word, published, that's better, uh, published the Game of the Year edition, which was a digital add-on. And after that, for the final physical release, Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment published that one. That's the publishing picture, and it 
kind of looks complicated as well with this game being episodic when it comes to the game's directors and level designers. I trawled through the credits today, which it was no mean feat to kind of pull together the people that we would point to as director or designer. But uh, a quick rundown is Christian Elverdam, uh, Jakob Mikkelsen, Torbjorn Vinter, Vinter, I guess, Christensen, Matthias Engstrom, Tok Cranert, Rasmus Hammerfelt Hansen, Martin Deacon, and Ryan Barnard. I've no idea about pronunciation of a lot of those. Apologies if any of that was wrong, but those are the people who were listed as either level designers or game director outright. Um, writer, there is one single writer for this game, Michael Vogt, and uh, art director, Jonathan Rowe, and a single composer as well, Niels by Nielsen. Um, this game was announced in June 2015 at the Sony conference, which was uh, announced at E3. It was listed as Hitman and was scheduled for release in December 2015. By September, so kind of splitting the difference between June and December, the news had come out that it had been delayed until March 2016, so a three-month delay. It also was revealed that it was now going to be split into an intro pack, which would have uh, tutorials and three maps and then a dlc pack which would have an additional three maps so this was kind of the first step to splitting this game out to allow extra development time for the later levels um and to allow the game to be start you know released closer to when it had initially been planned as it was by january 2016 so a couple of months before release the playstation pre-orders just got cancelled Outright. If you had a pre-order for this game on PlayStation, they got cancelled. The game was completely removed from PSN store in Europe. And then within about a week of that happening, um, the the news came out that Hitman 2016 was going to be fully episodic with a disc release scheduled for the end of the year. So the idea being that every month to six weeks, another, excuse me, another mission would come out. Then at the end of that, like you would with... Um, any episodic game really be it a telltale game or life is strange you'd have a collected version that would come out at the end so the intro pack then instead of being three maps plus tutorials was just one map paris plus the the tutorial levels with that was a slightly higher price and then subsequent maps were going to be released at ten dollars each so the 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 kind of main headline dates we need to talk about at this point um the intro pack as mentioned came out for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, PC, which included the prologue, which was um, two maps, and Episode One, which was the the first main map of the of the of the game. Uh, that came out on eleventh of March two thousand sixteen, and you had to wait until into two thousand seventeen, thirty first of January two thousand seventeen, to be precise, to get the complete first season on a disc. So we may as well kind of uh, crack into our histories fully with the game, uh, just when we started playing it, when we came to know about it, that kind of thing. Josh, would you like to kick us off? Hitman was always a franchise that I had dabbled with, but never really committed to. So this is actually the first Hitman I ever completed from start to finish. Um, And, and, you know, the Hitman 2 makes two Hitman games that I've actually um, fully invested time into. Before that, the most time I had put into a Hitman game was uh, Blood Money. Um, And, you know, even then, like, 
I had some so Blood Money. I have some issues with um, in terms of the way it controls. It felt a little bit clunky and what have you. But um, the level design, even even with my issues with it, it was just so incredible and so evident that like this series did something really special with the way it designed maps. And it was always something that I I wanted to find that game that really kind of capitalized on that in a way that I could enjoy. Um, and the, the other thing with Hitman Blood Money that kind of put me off was the the tone. And this is some one of the big changes with this series that I, I think has made it into something that I really love, is that previous to Hitman, um, that this Hitman, um, these games have had quite a grotty kind of tone. Um, everyone remembers the trailer for Hitman Absolution with the nuns. Now I know yeah, I realize yeah. that that's not representing, you know, doesn't really represent the series that accurately. But I do remember an awful lot of women wearing thongs in Hitman Blood Money all the time, and it and and that that kind of like adolescent tone put me off. Um, so. When Hitman released and was getting positive reviews, I was like, yeah, this does sound like something I'd like, but let's let's see how, you know, the other, you know, how the other episodes are received before I pick this up. And then, you know, Sapienza lands and um, it, it was like the second coming of Christ on uh, Twitter. <laughs> uh, everyone was just like, oh, my God, Sapienza, Sapienza. And I was like, oh, OK, maybe this this game, um, I really need to, you know, dive in. But I was like, no, 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 I'll, I'll wait for a sale. I'll wait for a sale. I'll wait for all the episodes to come out and then it will, you know, half in price or whatever. Um, and then Marrakesh comes out and people are still going, oh my God, anyone not playing this game is out of their mind. <laughs> they need to, they need to get on this straight away. And it was, you know, with that third episode where I was like, okay, I can't wait. I need to, I need to dive in. So I, I wasn't there from the beginning. Um, I was, you know, it was three episodes in before I took the plunge, but yeah, um, I, I was eagerly anticipating the the remaining episodes after that. Excellent, thank you very much, uh, John. How about yourself? Uh, well, my story with this game is not too dissimilar to Josh's, although I actually did have the restraint to hold out until it was all completely released, and then, as luck would have it, it I think the last episode came out at the end of October, beginning of November, two thousand and sixteen. And then, bam, in like two weeks, there was the um, the Thanksgiving Black Friday sale. So I ended up picking up the whole thing then after it had all come out and everything at that point had all seemed okay. And all of the episodes were at least well enough regarded. The only thing that I guess was frustrating about doing it that way was missing a lot of the elusive contracts that had been going on. But it, in respect to the previous games in the series as well, I mean, I, my, I should have been jumping on this straight away uh because i was a very very big fan of blood money particularly and i had played uh silent assassin this is silent assassin isn't it the yeah, yeah, Man 2. Too, yeah and contracts i had played those on the original xbox i never played the first one i can't remember why i think it might have been pc only or uh yes been more difficult to get hold of I remember playing those original ones probably around the time they launched and i played blood money at that time and i'd really enjoyed the diversity of the levels and the the weird um, quirky uh, killings and things that were going on. And looking back at it now, 
as Josh was saying, it is a little bit embarrassing. It's a little bit juvenile. There are particularly blood money. I do seem to remember there being lots of levels that had sort of sexy party atmosphere going on with women running around in bikinis and things and worse. And then the nuns thing with absolution. If I remember rightly, there was also a a really seedy marketing campaign that went along with that as well. Fortunately, I can't remember very much about it. But yeah, so this this game at that time when they were talking about it, especially leading up to the episodes, and it seemed more leaning back towards the blood money style of game. I was I was very up for it, but like I said, I managed to hold off and wait until the whole thing came out because I'm not really very good at playing episodic games. I tend to wait until everything's released. I mean, with all of the Telltale things like that, I've waited until it's all released and then played it in one go. Um, but with this, I waited until it had all come out. And then I kind of played it episodically. It actually took me the best part of probably 18 months before I'd played through all of the content in it. So I just kept taking breaks between episodes. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'll get on to me in a second. But I've I've got kind of a similar uh, story there. Uh, Brian, how about yourself? When did you first pick up Hitman? It's going to sound like I listened to Josh's history and took notes <laughs> because it's very similar. The only Hitman game I was ever into beforehand was um code name 47 the the very first one i was lucky enough uh when i was a young man my father got a relatively high-end pc he had to use it for work and i used it for video games and uh i got a copy of that game and i, I played a lot of it um but i was never any good at it i was always terrible and i kept getting game after game in the franchise and then it just kind of was developing the, into the type of game that i don't really like so i think the last Hitman game I had played before Hitman 2016 was the beginning of Blood Money because I just remember everybody talking about how many people were on screen and it was just incredibly visual, visually striking. Uh, but I didn't really get on with any of them um, after the first one. So I wasn't really looking forward to this game. I, I don't remember a lot of that development process because I re- wasn't paying attention to it that much at the time. And then, much like Josh, you know, the first uh, Paris comes out, everybody's talking about it, and I kind of think, oh, that's neat, just not for me, and then so on and so forth as the episodes kept, you know, kept getting released. And it was um, Thailand though was the episode that, that got me to get interested in the game, because I remember, I'm, I'm sure there are 100 videos like this, but I remember watching a Twitch stream, um, a recorded Twitch stream where, I forget who the streamer was, so I apologize, but they just kept calling room service in the hotel. The body, the bodies in the bathroom were kind of stacked from the floor to the ceiling, and he kept kind of seeing how many he could fit in, and it just realized, like, I was looking at this basic, kind of like this murder carnival that this guy was setting up in the hotel room, and that was very interesting to me, and and I, I watched, kind of learned a little bit more about it after watching that, kind of got a little bit more interested, and I actually uh, ended up picking it up just before the the release of the last episode, the Hokkaido release, and um, played through it kind of on and off over the course of the following two months. Uh, So it sounds like I'm the only person who picked this up at release, but for all that I am a a Hitman fan, and feel free to go back to listen to our uh, Blood Money episodes to to talk about that, but in short, I really like Hitman 2 Silent Assassin as much as Blood Money. I think it's tough to go back to now, but yeah, massive fan. This is one of my all-time favourite series, and yet... Because of Absolution, it was not a given that I was going to uh, pick this game up on day of release. Because Partly because of the kind of unknown that was how it was being released and what that meant for 
what Square Enix and IO were doing with this game. I really wasn't sure. And I remember uh, being on our forums, uh, kinrince.com forward slash forums, and talking about this game coming up to release and saying, you know what, I'm not sure. Maybe I'll buy the intro pack and see how that goes. But in all honesty, I might just wait. I, I couldn't not. By, by the time it was released, I picked up the full pass, dove in. And yet I played uh, like... Like many people, I think I went through and rinsed each map before I moved on to the next one. This wasn't a playthrough. Okay, now I can continue. This was, I'm doing every challenge. I'm maxing out my level. I want to know this level inside and out before I move on. And that meant uh, probably 20 hours into the tutorial areas. And certainly I know for a fact it was 20 hours I spent on the Paris level, just knowing that map inside and out. And on the strength of that map alone, this was my favourite game of 2016. Like, not even kidding, just that map. I was playing so much, little bits here and there, an hour every, you know, every other night or whatever it might have been, in amongst other games, and was just sinking into this. Didn't get to the rest of the episodes for a long time after. Like, it would have been far, far better for me financially probably to have just bought the intro pack and played as much of I did, as I did of those levels and then pick up in a sale later on the the rest of the pass but I didn't and I never regretted it for a second I got several games worth of enjoyment out of just the the tutorial levels in the Paris map since then obviously I've played through this game in its entirety I, I grabbed the uh, complete first season uh, on Xbox and played through all of that and I've fired up Hitman's season one levels in Hitman 2 and had a play through those although the only ones I've really fully completed are the tutorial missions again just to see how the new mechanics would kind of change that um, so yeah that kind of brings us up to date with where I'm at with it in terms of reviews, though, much like with everything else, it seems with this game, the fact that it's an episodic release means that the reviews are completely fragmented. Some sites started off reviewing episodes but didn't carry on reviewing episodes. Some sites just reviewed the full game when it came out, the full first season. So it really is all over the place. I kind of ended up ballparking game rankings just based on the, I guess, the complete season reviews. Between 84 and 88%, they had the different uh, formats listed as. IMDB user reviews, 8.3 from uh, close to 1,000 reviews. So that seems like a good kind of sample size. In terms of sales figures, again, really difficult to know. VG Charts is kind of our go-to, but this wasn't released physically initially, and they have very little data on that physical release anyway. So no sales numbers, I could tell. Before we get into talking about the game, uh, another forum post Again, canerinse.com forward slash forum. You can uh, give us your feedback for any of our upcoming podcasts throughout Volume 8. There's uh, forum threads for each and every one of those. So I'll take this one. It is a bit longer from Magical Isopod, who says, Hitman is a game I fear I'll never finish. Its episodic structure means each level is a room full of toys and the player is a caffeine-addled child told, Have at her. Do whatever you please. I bought the complete edition not long after its retail release and I spent nearly 20 hours just on the tutorial missions playing around with all the little possibilities they had to offer. Now here we are two or three years later and I only recently tried the third map, Sapienza, for the first time. There's a second game out now but the glacial pace I've been working at the first I doubt I'll ever pick it up. 
For me, the complete season one of Hitman may as well be the entire series. I'll come home from work in a rut, pop Hitman in for a couple of hours, kill some rich dude I've internally personified as the digital embodiment of capitalist wave slavery in the most creative way possible, and then drop it for another few months. Thing is with Hitman though, the overall story and setting are kind of ho-hum. It's more of a side attraction in my gaming library than something I'd class as an all-time must-play masterpiece. But nevertheless, I do love it. It scratches a certain devious itch I can only liken to a raccoon sneaking into a house and escaping with pilfered goodies. On a final note, I leave you with the wisdom of my Parisian friend, Veronica. If you're playing the Paris level, be sure to dump the body in the Seine, because the pollution will dissolve it before anyone finds it. That tip really embodies the spirit of Hitman for me. I agreed, and that's why I'm going to take us straight into talking about not just the narrative importance of the Hitman of this Hitman game, but the dark humor, because I think that final kind of anecdote there from Magical Icebot does kind of sum up the dark humor. I think you guys have touched on there is a seedier side to the Hitman series that I feel this game does step away from to a certain extent, but it goes hard, in my opinion, after its dark vein of humor. But yeah, I'd love to hear from you guys what how you felt about the plot and how it kind of motivated you through the game. I think the the change of tone is probably one of my favorite things that this game does differently from the yeah. rest of the series. You you mentioned kind of moving away from the the grossiness and mm. and leaning into the dark humor. I think you know, it's not just that it's dark, it's it's goofy, it's silly, it's camp and it and, and it's ridiculous and and I love that. And I love mm. how self-aware um, this Hitman and Hitman 2 are of how ridiculous all of this is in yeah. a way that I didn't I didn't feel with Hitman Blood Money. Hitman Bloody, the best way I can describe um, the aesthetic of Hitman Blood Money is like rusty pipes and uh, <laughs> and bloody... It's just there's something like manhunty, grindhousey about sure. yeah. the, the 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 older ones. Whereas with this one, like uh, Super Bunny Hop did a, a couple of videos on on these most recent Hitmans, and he said what what this th- this Hitman ends up feeling like is like the first game that really nails the feeling of James Bond, but mm. in like all the ways that James Bond has ever been, whether it be like the serious espionage stuff, but also the, you know, the Roger Moore silliness as well. Yeah. Just like the, the ridiculous, like uh, alligator hopping and all of that stuff. And, yeah. <laughs> um, I, and I, I, I really enjoy that. And one of, I think one of the, the things uh, that, that it nails is the deadpan comedy because the, the voice actor who plays Agent 47, who James, I'm sure you're going to jump in and, and tell me who the, the voice actor uh, is. David Bateson. He does such a wonderful job of delivering these lo- mm. like great lines like, yes, it's to die for just like <laughs> yeah. any, any opportunity to put like a, an assassination pun in there. Um, it's, it's just, it's, really I, I i this sounds weird to describe um a game that's about you know murdering people in this way but it <laughs> felt like really warm and and kind of 
lovely that he's yeah. just so silly um yeah and and i i, I really look the the kind of broader story i i've always felt like and and hitman 2 kind of solidified this for me as well is that it's really kind of unnecessary um mm. i feel like i would be okay with here's a horrible person go kill them as being the entire context that i need um but that said I think the the shadow client um Lucas Gray um the the voice acting for him by John Hopkins is really great. Yeah, it is. So yeah. while he doesn't have the best material in the world it's delivered really well. Um and the same goes for like Diana Burnwood who's played by Jane Perry. Like she delivers her lines with such conviction and like the, the her sarky sense of humor is so brilliant that any kind of quibbles that i have about the broader narrative um are kind of easy to ignore when the flavor and the tone is so joyous there is an aspect of the the previous hitman games were agent 47 going down into the dark underbelly of the world but it was a very as you say a very immature version of that a very kind of angsty teen version of that almost where it was nightclubs and slaughterhouses and uh, yeah exactly eli ross uh, hitman is a good way of putting it whereas this feels like hitman's going into a caricatured version of the upper echelons of society um and and wading into that world or in the case of somewhere like marrakesh just going into a city he's just in the city yeah there's weird stuff going on the sides but the the whole setting of the level is not a nightclub or you know this kind of themed weird caricatured place it's a meat packing factory or something for sure horrible. yeah that kind of thing and <laughs> yeah. I, I feel kind of strange about the story because for me i'd happily play these levels if there was no connecting story whatsoever but i do kind of understand why they want to tie these together the stupid thing about that really is or the 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 weird thing about that is as a hypothetical hitman who is employed by an agency there's no reason one target one mission to the next one contract to the next should have any connection whatsoever but every one of these games in some way shape or form tries to tie these uh missions together with some kind of grand theme without doing that you wouldn't have the performance necessary well i guess you'd still have uh, diana burnwood there but you wouldn't have the shadow client you wouldn't have providence you wouldn't have those kind of characters coming in adding a bit of kind of flavor and whether that's a kind of serious espionage tone or whether that's diana's kind of tongue-in-cheek like a sarcastic attitude towards things sometimes um i think it does add something to have that there i'm just not sure that the story is something i'll ever remember about this game as opposed to the little stories i created in it yeah and the specific setting stories of the levels you know the the guys that were holed up in the um, in the embassy in Marrakesh and the the fashion show in Paris. Yeah, you know, I remember yeah. those things so much more than the actual yeah. story. Yeah. Story. Yeah. I think giving it that it's it's like a, a flair to it. You know, an air of flashiness to have. Uh, yeah, a level set in a fashion show and a level set in a really fancy hotel instead of, as you were saying, you know, a meat packing unit. And a rehab clinic and all these really grim places just going after these guys who are just bad guys, but not for not for like fun reasons. And you're always, I guess, those games less humorous in the respect that, you know, you're you're dressing up as a waiter or a gardener or like a faceless bodyguard or something like that. And you kind of skulk about in the shadows and 
it seems much more believable that you could get away with something like that and nobody would recognise it. Whereas in these ones, Agent 47 is just like, I'll, I'll stick on the blooming fashion model's costume and walk down the catwalk <laughs> and nobody will notice. You know, I'll dress up as like the, you know, the personal psychotherapist of the target and talk to him in all these ridiculous situations mm. when surely you'd want nothing more than to kind of be having your face turned away from people and not make any eye contact and not have to talk to anybody but he just plays into it so hard and as you say all the just really stupid little quips and everything to make it so much more fun than that and all the set dressing around that is it buys into that dark humor and the self-awareness it's it's really incredible. The the writing in this game is is fantastic. Like how how many times I walked up the staircase of the hotel in Thailand and you know dresses the waiter and then every once in a while I'll just run into some crew guy and another line will just come up and be like like hey waiter like go get us some drinks like just dumb stuff like that in this yeah. sarcastic overtone that just like like clearly this is this guy <laughs> I mean the it's it's so clear he's not the waiter, but like you said, he's just putting on that that costume that just suddenly allows him that next level of entry, and they've accounted for all of that with the the self aware pieces of dialogue that are over the top and hilarious and let you feel like comically into straight up murdering lots of people. <laughs> it's almost that mantra or that sort of atmosphere of uh, if you just show ridiculous levels of confidence no one's going to question you yeah like because nobody would be this stupid to dress up as somebody that you personally know and go and talk to them to their face yeah but you yeah. just kind of somehow get away with it yeah move, move quickly and with purpose and you'll not be around long enough for anyone to actually do the double take and stop and think about it it is high time that we get into talking about these levels i think which begins with the prologue uh, at an ICA training facility that was released on the 11th of March 2016 and involves two maps, the first of which is a party on a boat that is all, it's all kind of prefab woods put together into the form of a boat. It's supposed to recreate a real mission, um, but you're never in any doubt that this is not a real place. I well, uh, <laughs> aside from, I mean, the immediate dark humour situation where you're on this boat that is clearly set up and is a training facility. And they say you've got, you know, you don't go to the car and escape. You go to the car and you press a big button that's next <laughs> to it that just says escape on it. So all of that is very obviously all false. But at the same time, it does seem like you're using real weapons to <laughs> actually kill people. Like <laughs> yeah. your, your target on that, you can blow him up with a mine in his toilet. <laughs> and there is no indication that any of that is not real or faked or... And when the guards come after you and shoot you, it looks like you die. So that's a weird juxtaposition for me. It immediately gets you off on that foot of, so this game kind of knows what it's doing and it is, it's just going to lean into being ridiculous. And I, I could read that either way. On the one hand, obviously, they keep the mechanics from the main game. So the fact that you are shooting real bullets and they are being shot at you, hypothetically, if things go badly, because... I maintain you shouldn't be shooting bullets in an eight-man game unless it's at a light or to distract. No. But um, that could just be a mechanical uh, kind of factor where they didn't want to imitate paint bullets or, or paintballs or whatever, anything like that. Um, but equally well, the way Eric Soders is setting all of this up as the head of the ICA is kind of he wants 
Agent 47 to fail. And I'd kind of buy that the ICA might set this up as real and, and get people in as actors and not tell them they're actually going to die. But <laughs> that, that seems yeah. a little far-fetched. But equally well, I, I see what you mean, John. It does kind of lean into this is kind of all ridiculous and just off-kilter enough that you would maybe believe that's what's happening. And the one thing I really did like about that initial tutorial, the freeform training, is that you play through it once the way they want you to. Yeah. And then it you play through it again and it basically just kind of says, you know, figure it out. That's when you when I remember kind of fully exploring the menus and seeing the different challenges and different things I could do. And and it just really opening up and being like, oh, they like it just kind of wants me to walk around and see what this mm. is all about. And um, it really I spent a a long time on the freeform training. Uh, before I moved on to anything else. Uh, yeah, I, I did too. I also like the fact that having the guided training and then the freeform training, it's not just teaching you how to play the game, it's teaching you, um, teaching you a way or the way to play the maps as well. Mm-hmm. Your first time through, you're not going to know the maps, but then afterwards you can start to pick out things you saw that you want to go and investigate more and try different ways of doing things and just fully kind of explore the maps in a more freeform way once you've kind of played through once for... I guess, quote unquote, the story or, yeah. you know, the mission as it were. And, uh, and yeah, I, I liked this kind of boat set up with, uh, as kind of spoon fed as the opportunities were, this is kind of the first taste of the opportunity system. It doesn't lead you necessarily hundred percent by the nose, but if you turn that kind of on, it will tell you when you overhear a conversation, right? Okay. Here's an opportunity. Here's a piece of information. Go and get this outfit. Go there, pick up that object, get into this area. And here's how you're going to kill them. It will kind of walk you through that kind of stuff, which as a, a GDC talk on level design and Hitman talked about how this was all layered in after the fact, because their first play testing of these levels, they were Big in like the smaller levels that you had in the Hitman series, you could kind of work out what you're supposed to do and where you're supposed to go. But these levels are big enough that actually players were getting lost, and they found that this was the point in the series where they did want to lead players a little bit more and let them discover in a controlled manner how to then go on and play afterwards. Um, and so the the guided and freeform training did that really well. I thought I was surprised to feel like I was having fun playing a tutorial in a Hitman game when by rights I shouldn't have needed one really uh, having played so many of the well all of the other games so this and the other uh, map which I guess we could probably talk about in conjunction was the final test where that one's so much bigger than the boat uh, you're in an uh, uh, air hangar and you've got Russian soldiers, you've got security guards, you've got mechanics, you've got a plane in the middle, and there's this whole scenario which is supposed to be kind of, uh, I think it was Eric Soder's signature contract, his signature hit, if you like, where he was able to take out this defector um, and um, steal some intel and escape. I really like the way this went from controlled guided training into a freeform training into right now you've got this whole map to explore and try and work out. It really led you through the stages of that. I thought really well. Yeah. The guided tutorial without presenting itself as a tutorial. It's a, I mean, this replaying of Soder's test and then you kind of get the, the prologue from uh, Diana Burnwood telling you that he wants you to fail and he's kind of set up these things to block you, giving you a reason for why, you know, it's so difficult to navigate. And then, and then all that culminating up to the, the options at your disposal to take out the target. It's uh, yeah, it was really, it was a really kind of perfect introduction to what to expect from the next six levels you're going to play. 
Um, so as far as opportunities go, I'd like to hear from you guys, I guess, uh, Josh, first. How did you feel about opportunities and how much use did you make of them as you were playing through the game? I kind of viewed opportunities as like a guided tour through the level mm. that helped me understand the level, helped me understand um, where everything was, give give me the broader picture of what is possible, you know, the possibility space within this level. Mm. And then after I've completed those opportunities, I would then turn them off and go back in and 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 do the challenge, you know, run through the challenge list yeah, yeah. to try and get map mastery. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I I ended up I ended up really liking the opportunity system as long as I engaged with it in that way. Yeah. Understanding that my first few run throughs are just kind of like Yes, I'm I'm kind of being pulled along by the nose, but this is like an education for me. It's teaching me the level. It's giving me that you know map in my brain, um, and then after that, um, it's the real hitman where um, I'm filling out um, this checklist. And um, yeah, I, I I think I, I think for me, it got me to understand that this was um, a game that you know, benefited from multiple playthroughs. I didn't used to do that, you know, with Blood Money. I didn't complete that game, but mm. for the, you know, the levels that I did play of it, it was very much, I want to do it the way that I want to do it. And then that's it. Mm. I I, le- I left the level. I never went back to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, opportunities helped me discover the joy of just playing, of experimentation. And I think if they weren't in here, I think I would be a lot more timid um, with my play style in, in these games. But because it is here, it gives me the, you know, it builds up my courage, essentially. It builds up my courage with the level, mm. and then I can turn them off. Yeah, I think that's that's a very reasonable way of doing it, and that's fairly similar to how I went about it. Uh, the opportunities normally you don't even have to kill the target at the end of them they're normally showing you a setup way of generally here's how you get hold of a disguise from an npc or something like that here's where you get this key to get through this doorway and then once you're in there if you just kind of keep watching the target or if you do something make one other change to the the way the target moves then you will somehow end up in the same room as them at a certain time and then it's just, you know, do what you want to, to finish them off. So I, I tended to start the each time I played one of the episodes by going through the it's normally six, five, six, seven opportunities, depending on the level. And if you go through it probably three times, you can tick them all off. And by that point, you'll have numerous challenge levels and stuff unlocked. So then you can start the level in a certain place with a costume, which makes things feel it's it streamlines the whole affair to where you're you're not having to start every single time and you might play through these i probably played them easily five or six times each level to get the challenge mastery but it just means you skip that tedious first step where you're waiting for somebody or luring somebody out to get their costume and i will say the the time that i had i think the most stressful and least attempt at playing this was when i'd only done the first I think I'd probably done Paris and maybe Sapienza. And there was an elusive target that was active. And it was on the Marrakesh map, which I hadn't seen at all yeah. at that point. But I thought, oh, well, I might as well just click this thing and give it a go. I knew what the deal was, that you try them once. And if you pass it, you pass it. If you fail it, you never get another turn. 
So I started off on Marrakesh. I've never seen the level before. I had no, you know, no way of upgrading myself immediately to get another costume or, or do anything like that. Uh, there were no opportunities or anything marked off mm-hmm. to give you any help. Yeah. And I think I spent about 20 minutes running around that map, which is very, very um, maze-like and confusing map with this target who I never, never once saw. I don't <laughs> have a clue where they were. They were probably up on one of the rooftop bars or something like that. But I spent ages running around trying to figure out a, where I could go and where mm. I couldn't. B, how to get a disguise from one of the soldiers to try and get into another area. And eventually it just fell apart. And I, I remember feeling very, very frustrated, mainly because it was it was like doing a challenge run of the game of something that you've not seen before. It would just drop you straight into it. It's pretty tough. Uh, it's like I say, this this elusive target was probably way out of the way somewhere where you, know, you couldn't get to them. I think I just spent ages walking around the marketplace looking yeah. for a, a, an obvious model that looked like what the um, the description of this person had been. And I just it just annoyed me at that point. So from then on, I never went and did any elusive targets on maps I hadn't played before. But I think that's the that was what I got out of the challenges and the opportunities was a sort of a gentle learn of the map that you then don't feel like you're wasting a lot of time and frustration by I suppose it's sort of figuring it out yourself, which some people I'm sure is exactly what they want out of these games. But I think what I go for is that feeling of when things are actually coming together, how nicely things work when you get them right, as opposed to trying to solve the puzzle of how to get there. Yeah, that that speaks to exactly why I, I love the opportunities, because I'm admittedly pretty bad at hitman like if i start a level cold i'm gonna really struggle to find out where i'm supposed to go how i'm supposed to get these you know the targets into where i need them and the opportunities really allowed me to learn that level and the feeling of learning the patterns through the opportunities you kind of would find out where this one outfit or the one costume is and maybe the one route that the a target's going to take. All that builds by doing opportunities that by the time I finish the opportunities, then I was really ready to try a, you know, silent assassin suit only run because I had now seen a lot of what this level had, had, had to offer. So they made me a lot better at the game. And I think it speaks to what Josh said about confidence in these levels is, you know, without without those, I don't think I would have had the confidence to, to try some of the the, for lack of a better term, the the more off the beaten path, weirder, you know, mm-hmm. things to do. So it, for me, it, it worked. The, the opportunities, I think, were a, a, a vast improvement for me personally on why mm-hmm. this is the hitman that clicked with me as opposed to the previous entries where I just kind of felt lost or bored. It is high time we got on to the first of the main uh, maps, the episode one. Each of these has a, a name for the main campaign mission, but the, the map is is the place, is the map. So this one's called The Showstopper. It's set in Paris, France, um, at a, a mansion that a, a fashion show is being held in, and also upstairs an auction. It was released on the 11th of March 2016 with the intro pack, and you have... Uh, straight away again, two targets to take out. Victor Novikov and Dalia Margolis, who are husband and wife. One is a fashion designer, other is an ex-model, and now trader in Intel, I guess, is kind of the best. Uh, an Intel broker, I suppose, would be the, the best way to kind of put that, who uses her connections to uh, influence and provide information to people who are willing to pay for it. As I said, I was happy to play a f- this 
level as though it was the only level in the game. I really loved this. I loved the fact that to me, it reminded me of another Paris level, which was Curtains Down, where you're at the stage show during the dress rehearsal, I think it is, where you've got kind of the lighting rig that you can drop onto the stage. You've got a backstage area. You've got areas where sort of um, work workmen and kind of um, staff are kind of setting things up and uh, all that kind of thing going on. And then a front of house area where all the kind of audience and um, the public are. It felt like that, except there's a whole other, like three floors above that in this mansion with other stuff going on. And I loved the fact that you can feel like you've got a good sense of the level until you walk up a different staircase and find there's a whole other wing, a whole other section to this mansion. Yeah, I I really love this space in terms of the the just the whole layout for this uh, as as a level that allowed you to explore and work out different ways of pulling your targets to different areas of the map. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. I was shocked when I first played the the Paris level at, at how big it was. I was expecting you know big, and I'd heard a lot of obviously great things about it and watched a lot of videos of, of people playing through it. But it just it seemed massive, impossibly massive when you're you're starting to figure things out. Like um, you see the sniper challenges, and you see the um, the 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 different like ways to take out your targets, and and you realize just how long and tall this level is, and. I, I'll never forget, and that, just to talk about uh, killing both of them, one, the first time I, I dropped uh, Dahlia onto Victor during the fireworks thing, you know, yeah. and making that all come together and seeing and how much of the level I had to traverse just to make this all come together and then to finally set it off like this, this you know, this murdery Rube Goldberg machine and have it pay off, it was <laughs> like... That was the, one of the one of the first moments where I, I realized that this game. Like, I, I was enjoying the tutorials. I spent a lot of time there, but like this game was really something unique and special. That it, and it was going to be important to me when I was done with it. It just it it just has so much character to this level yeah. um, that mm-hmm. it never quite stops revealing itself. I remember the first opportunity I did was the lighting rig opportunity. So I go to the attic and there's a two security guards there talking about the lighting rig. And then all of a sudden they get to this discussion about Murphy's law and string theory. (laughs) And I remember the one, the one security guard says, you know, it's string theory, man. Anything can happen anytime. Everything's happening right now. And the other security guard looks at him sarcastically and says, all right, Carl Sagan, I know what, I know what string theory is. And I just was laughing, hiding behind these two idiots talking like openly talking about a way to easily kill hundreds of people at this show and then doing it and laughing and 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 finding the humor and fun in it all it just this 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 level they're all a lot of these levels are great but this level for me it's it's probably because it really helped me fall in love with the game and the setup it's it's special i think it's no coincidence that it's called the showstopper either it's such a perfect name for that feeling when you you start off outside and you walk through the front door of the mansion or into the party area and there are so many npcs on screen immediately it's it's just a huge jump from the the two training levels beforehand and that's that's just you know one room out of this building that has multiple multiple rooms and then you know five six floors all stacked above from uh you know from the kitchen down at the very bottom and the wine cellar with various things going on and then the show floor and the all the camera people upstairs and then the auction up above that and then the attic and you've got the garden out the back with a whole load of stuff going on 
it's just i mean i i was completely blown away when i first started on this and i think it's it's a real case of they they put their best foot forwards on this and they they really knocked it out of the park with this first episode and they needed to with the skepticism going into this with all the stuff we talked about before with making it episodic mm. and cancelling all the pre-orders and people were nervous about what it would be like they had to have something that people would feel had justified their faith in well i know this seems a bit strange and you know they're doing this weird episodic model but i'm going to give it a chance anyway and if it had have been one of the slightly less interesting later on missions i don't think it would have had the same effect and i don't think people would have stuck with the game uh, to the amount that they did and certainly the huge buzz around it immediately when this came out uh, i think is testament to Mm why this made so many game of the year lists and i think personally i played like i said i bought this at about thanksgiving time i played paris i played the training levels all the way through all the challenge and everything in those and then paris and then sapienza all within the space of a few weeks Mm. just from those two levels i had already known that there wasn't going to be anything else that had come out in that year that i would i would prefer to hit man it was solidly my game of the year despite only playing less than half of the content involved in it. I think for me, what Paris does so wonderfully is it acts as like, it really helped me understand the core appeal of Hitman being this, um, this kind of viewing a map as like layers of security, like, like on an onion that you're just kind of like peeling back and peeling back and peeling back. Now, like, one one of the moments where I knew I was going to love this game, and it and it makes sense to talk about it here because this is the first time I, I you know experienced it, um, is when you walk into an area that you're not supposed to be. Now if, uh, you're going to have to forgive me if this was in Absolution, but I don't remember this in Blood Money. Um, but like walking into an area where you're not supposed to be, the security guard seeing you, and instead of pulling out their gun and going you're not supposed to be here boom bang 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 and just immediately <laughs> killing you yeah. it was like oh this just this is some idiot party goer who's you just walked in the wrong place right follow me you're not come on mate i love that because mm. it was just like that's how it would happen if some security guards you know saw some drunken guest um you know backstage they're not just going to suddenly get hostile they're gonna go uh, come on, sir, you're not meant to be here. Yeah. And it's only when you start resisting that initial stage um, that the, the guard starts to get wrong. suspicious. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and what I loved about that system, first of all, it feels more organic and it mm. feels more real that the guards would react that way. But second of all, it gave you like a little, you know, like testing the waters. So you could go into areas, go, oh, let's see how far I can push this. Okay, this far, I can't go any further. All right, that's good to know. And that like little bit of like leeway, like letting the player kind of recover from mistakes, Mm. um, but in a way that feels kind of, it doesn't, it's not like the slow-mo in Metal Gear Solid Five where you just (laughs) suddenly get supernatural abilities to recover (laughs) from your mistake. It's just like naturally built into, 
to how you would expect characters to react. And it also plays into the strength of Hitman as a game, which is it's not really about stealth in the traditional self, in the traditional kind of model. It's not about like hiding around corners and, and, you know, getting your silence pistol out. While that stuff is in there and you can do it and it's fun, it's, it's much more mm-hmm. about this social stealth and kind yeah. of hiding in plain sight. And, um, all of those mechanics about the you know the guards AI and giving you that leniency to just play the fool um, kind of you, you know yeah. allowed you to kind of do that allowed you to feel more like okay I'm just mm-hmm. I'm just pretending I'm just pretending to be a hapless guest so let's just play into that role and and follow the guards orders yeah. loved it loved that I liked how barefaced this level was with you walk in the front door you're invited in you walk straight in and they put a spotlight on one of your targets as he walks down the stairs towards you and it's just like this is how easy it could be you want to try and shoot him? You want to try? <laughs> it's just like, you know it's never going to happen, but they just put him front and centre. You don't have to go hunting for this guy at all. And that's the sort of person he is. He's dramatic, he's big, he wants to be the face in front of you. But you still have to then work out where you can go. And and the first time playing through this level, imagining how to do this in a suit-only silent assassin run, I could not fathom it at all. And it wasn't until I'd played through several times and found where the drain pipes were or where the blind spots in the security were that I felt like I could get to that stage. But knowing that I didn't need to ruin a run by trying something and not getting away with it was such a strong suit to this game, more than any other in the series. You're absolutely right, Josh, uh, for, for me at least. So we have talked and we have waxed lyrical about the opening track to this album, if you like. And as it's well known, you open strong, but then you have to step it up so that people know you haven't gone all out and given the game away at the first uh, the first effort. And I think it's safe to say, we'll find out how you guys feel, I think it's safe to say the vast majority of people uh, felt that Paris was great, but Sapienza is the one that you hear people talking about in this game. It is the one map that people, if they're talking about, wow, wasn't that amazing, it's this map people seem to flock towards. So uh, World of Tomorrow is the level name in Sapienza, Italy. It was released on the 26th of April 2016, so about six weeks after the previous one. Your targets are Silvio Caruso and Francesca DeSantis, and you also have an extra objective of destroying the virus. Okay, uh, I'm sorry. I'm just going to jump in. Uh, Sapienza is one of my favorite levels of all time. Like, I think it is, it is masterful. Um, and and the more t- you know, like it's been quite a while since you know Hitman came out. That every time I revisit Sapienza, I'm just like, wow, just wow. <laughs> how how did they do this? Um, and that you know, it's it's not just. The scale of it, like it's a huge map, you know, you've got this big house and then, but like, you know, a huge, you know, section of um, street outside as well. It's the density of it that's incredible. It's just how many secrets and how many little tricks and little, you know, opportunities in both the mechanical sense and just what's out there for you to discover that isn't signposted. Um, yeah, it's 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 amazing. Um, one of my favourite memories of this is setting up the challenge for uh, assassinating um, 
I think it's so yeah, it's Silvio where he's going into um uh he's looking down his uh Yes, he's the, looking at the the, 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 the telescope. telescope. Sorry, sorry. I just completely balanced on the word <laughs> telescope. I just kept thinking microscope? No, that's the opposite thing. Uh no, um yeah, he's looking down his telescope. And what what's great about that is I you know, I knew what roughly what I had to do, but it was just the setup and get you know, getting him there and then also running all the way to the church so that I could get the sniper rifle, climb up without anyone noticing. But then the hilarity because I thought, oh, I just have to, you know, put on my hitman vision so I could see the, mm. the red thing and, you know, look, you know, look at it. When he looks like he's looking through the telescope, yeah. then shoot, you know, shoot the telescope. The 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 comedy of seeing the gigantic eye <laughs> in the telescope before I click fire. Yeah. It just made me laugh. And I, I loved it. And there's and and that's just one example, but there are tons of moments like that. Yeah, that that really felt like uh, setting the dominoes up and getting an impossible shot at the end. It really, it really was. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that too. The other um, setup that I really enjoyed about this level that I'm sure I wouldn't have ever come to if it wasn't for the fact that there were various challenges. And I think specifically uh, part of one of the achievements was tied to was um, the setup where you purposefully fail or you screw something up so that Silvio tries to escape mm -hmm. and you let it get to the point where he's, he gets in his seaplane and actually leaves the level <laughs> and you get this big thing that comes up on the screen saying target is escaping, you know, will fail in 40 seconds, 39, 20, uh, 38, 37 countdown. And you wait until it's on about 10 seconds left and you fire a cannon at his seaplane <laughs> and blow him out of the sky. And I never, ever in a million years would have thought that, you could set something up so perfectly to have this guy seconds away from being yeah. out of your reach we just, and then get him at the last minute. You talked about the the whole the album analogy and just cranking up to another level. Like mm -hmm. like I sniped Victor Nabokov, you know, during a during a fireworks display, but I shot Silvio Crusoe out of a plane in a turn of the century or turn of the nineteenth century cannon. Like, yeah. oh my yeah. God, that just what a what a way to just escalate everything and and combine mm -hmm. with that, like what Josh was saying, like you walk down that street, that outside section, and you turn to walk down the hill towards the coast and towards the church. It's just, it's striking in every way, in every setting. That level, it just, I mean, it just, it, it, it just captivated me. It was, it was excellent. Absolutely excellent. Yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous, isn't it, compared to Paris? You've got Paris is the mansion. This is the mansion and the town around the mansion <laughs> yeah. and the beach and, you know, the secret lab underneath it. It's, it really is a step up from it, and it's so different. The like the tone and the scenery and the oh, setting sure. of it, it feels being, completely different. It this, feels like it's in a different country. It's completely blown away by. It. And at the time that I was playing this, I didn't have. I don't think I had a 4K TV or an Xbox One X. But it was one of the reasons that I put the game down for a while was seeing comparison videos of some of the scenery and the levels. Mm after the Xbox One X was released, or maybe just before it came out, but seeing the comparisons between the previous and the new the new graphics in yeah. the Xbox One X version, and the, the two things I specifically remember seeing were the, the visuals in Sapienza, the range of colors and things, just looking so much more 
fantastic uh, some small details on some of the things in thailand which again is it's not a dissimilar map it's it's incredibly beautiful the setting of mm. it but seeing those two with the upgraded versions was what made me made me want to hold off and see it in you know real 4k with a big 4k tv uh, exactly the same for me um i picked up the complete first season of this before i'd got a 4k tv and an xbox one x but knew i was going to be getting them the HDR in this game and Sapiens is as great a level as any to talk about it. It it really is wonderful. It it makes yeah the colours in this map, but also the light that that shines down on it, and it feels oh. different in if you're in different areas. Yeah, it, it's hands down one of the finest examples of why um, HDR. I think for me, more than 4K is uh, a, make makes a difference. It really does, and I love the fact that. There are there are so many different areas within this map that could be distinct maps from previous Hitman games, but they all fit together in a way that it feels like like the morgue and the church and the the little sort of cafe or bar out on the the sort of deck there, and then the whole town up above. In fact, you can go into the basement and into the kitchens of uh, a cafe, and just so much stuff going on. Like the the ruins around one side of the the mansion feels like it shouldn't fit together, but it really does. Um, for for me, the silly thing that I can, will never forget about this level is calling the Kraken up by running around with a sniper rifle where I had no business having a sniper rifle. The number of guards I had to take out to be able to do that without um, without <laughs> causing problems. Um, and then ringing bells by shooting them and getting pulling a kraken up. That's just such an example of how the humour, yes, it's dark, but it's also like wacky and, and slapstick in terms of the physical... Um, stuff that Agent 47's doing, including this one you can get into a suit of armour, essentially, that's in Silvio's kind of man cave type room where his telescope and his uh, his projector and, and video and DVD player and stuff are. You can get into... It, it, actually, it's not a suit of, of armour, is it? It's a, a doctor's it's a outfit. Yeah, doctor yeah. Outfit. Um, and, and, and you can, can pick use up a the, circumcision knife to kill people. Absolutely. There's a couple of different it's knives so you can wield stupid. with that. It, it just so irreverent sort of humor and in in that respect that outfit and being able to stand there and that that is a dark aspect to the humor but yeah the kraken and and using the cannon to take the seaplane out of the air is just is just wild i can't remember if it transfers across any of the other levels but there's a whole load of like little inflatable crocodiles all dotted around this one almost like collectibles and i can't i can't remember exactly but i think you can in the sewers, you can drag a body into sort of a corner and one of these crocodiles comes out of a, a hole and takes them. The developers knew that they had something really fantastic with Sapienza when they then decided to do two of the bonus episodes in it with... One of them is entirely different. Yeah. The icon is the one where they've got the film set Absolutely, in the square, yes, yeah, isn't it's it? Set, set at night and there's a film shoot mm. uh, going on with a big action scene in the middle. And that, to me, I think that was the first one that I played we're seeing this kind of remixed version of this level with the the familiar square that you know but like you say at night time and cordoned off and various i think there's a building that you can normally get into certain areas of it that you you have to enter it through different rooms to to get up into it i i was really completely blown away by that as well just how easily or how how seamlessly they changed this one setting into something completely different uh, yeah, we may as well also mention the other uh, bonus episode from this one, 
um, that came out with the complete first season. It was called Landslide, and there was a mayoral campaign or mayoral candidate was having kind of a rally down by where the beach is. And yeah, I, I really loved how they changed up this map. And I think they feel different because even though the map's the map is different, you're you're not exploring it in the same way you did the first time when you did the the Sapienza main mission. Episode three probably did kind of take things down a step, but the the massive space that you have to explore, it's a much more, I guess, flat map in that way. Um, a Gilded Cage was released on the 31st of May 2016 and it's set in Marrakesh, Morocco. Your targets are a general and uh, Klaus Hugo Strandberg is a banker who's basically fleeced people for loads of money in committing fraud and is now hiding out in an embassy. So the thing I liked about this map was it's much flatter and wider, but there it again has the distinct areas and and so many of them from the school on one side and the the giant hotel to the embassy itself. And then this entire underground corridor and car park where the soldiers are kind of setting up their protection of the embassy and defense of the city, I guess, effectively. It really feels like they're everywhere. How Any particularly strong memories or, or strong feelings about this level and how it kind of changed up from what we've seen previously? My my thoughts on it are brief in that I sure. agree with everything you said and um I thought some of the opportunities were a lot of fun and and, and the embassy section I thought was pretty was offered some unique opportunities to do some mm. fun stuff. But the thing about um this it will be my same complaint when we get to Colorado is that this is a video game setting that I feel that I've been to a hundred times. And okay, like yeah. um not necessarily the square with like the, you know, like trying to get at the embassy mad at him. I thought that was really unique. It had a, had a really neat feel to it. Like you felt like you were in the midst of some chaos. It felt really genuine. But then when I went to go tech, take out the general in the school, it was like a rogue military out, you know, outfit takes sure. over a, yeah, a, yeah. a three tiered mm-hmm. building. And like, it's, it's, you know, dilapidated to the point where they're, you know, the walls are cracked and falling down. It's very dirty and grimy and, you know, guys in camouflage with M16s leaning on walls. And I think just because of that and how different Paris and Sapienza felt to, to most video games, period, just made me kind of lukewarm on the feeling walking away from it. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. I'd, I'd agree with that. I I would mostly agree with that. I think for me, it's everything with the general feels kind of it's fun, but you know, not quite to the standard that I you know came to expect from the previous two levels. I think actually, you know, everything with Hugo, um, I really loved. Mm. Um, I think um, going in as a masseuse yeah. Yeah. Um, to massage him, and then the snapping of the neck—that all of so all of his opportunities, I loved. I thought they were great. It was just the the extra target, the general, mm. that was kind of not as fun. So I yeah. large, I think I largely kind of walk away from Marrakesh um, liking it a lot. And I think you know, like Brian said like i i think the actual main square is really bustling and yeah and you know i you know i personally i i've been to marrakesh i don't know how i i you know feel about going to marrakesh now as like a rich 
white guy and mm-hmm. kind of i have like weird ethical issues of going to poorer countries mm-hmm. and you know abusing the economy and what have you but i've been there and um it does really capture that central scare um that central square really does capture how busy and how intimidatingly busy mm. um you know marrakesh can be um and so for that like i think it's yeah. you know it's it's worth some props. Um, so yeah, for me, it's like half a great level. Yeah. My lasting memories are of the masseuse opportunity and the cameraman opportunity. The only other thing I want to say about the Marrakesh map mm. is possibly the only real negative thing that I've got to say about the game in general is it became very obvious on this map that they, they hadn't exactly splurged for, uh, let's say, a, a wide variety of voice actors because it didn't seem so noticeable on the previous two maps mm. with there being, you know, sort of a party and you know, multicultural, but very likely to be sort of westernized people. But when you're walking through that map in Marrakesh, all of the people who have their little incidental dialogue, the, you know, the unseen people, they'll say things like, hey, uh, fortune teller guy, why don't you tell me my fortune? Every single one of them sounded like a white dude from California. Mm. That felt rather out of place in a market square in Morocco. Okay, so after that, we had the summer bonus episodes. We've mentioned the icon. Uh, I don't particularly have anything to say about a house built on sand, which was the Marrakesh, Marrakesh bonus episode. Really remember this. This one took place in the like the cafe, the uh, not cafe, the, like the a- hotel like place. Yeah, with the. Um- the club, actually. So Sorry, they, it's a club, isn't it? Yeah. It's like a um, VIP. A shisha bar sort of place. I remember you had to follow someone who wanted to buy some carpets, I think, and had to mm-hmm. go to the carpet store. But yeah, it was fairly un- unmemorable, even though it did kind of, it again, put the, the level in nighttime setting as opposed to the daytime setting. We'd already seen it. It didn't didn't change the areas up as much as either the icon or no, no, did, no, unfortunately. No. That was released on 19th of July, 2016. Um, and then we go into August, uh, 16th of August, 2016. Agent 47 is sent to kill Jordan Cross and Ken Morgan, who are a, I guess, a music star, a band member, a pretty famous uh, musician, Jordan Cross, and his lawyer slash manager, I think family lawyer slash manager, Ken Morgan, um, who are at a very fancy looking hotel in Bangkok, Thailand. And this level's called Club 27. I think uh, Jordan Cross is the most killable character in Hitman. (laughs) (laughs) I think Ken Morgan does give him a run for his money, though. (laughs) He does, but there's something about Jordan Cross that just he he killed his girlfriend by by being a child. His dad bought him out of trouble with his money. His dad bought him this recording contract. He's a jerk to everyone he comes across. They have to stage a birthday party for him because nobody wants to celebrate his birthday. And then, you know, and and he's keeping the, the evidence of the murder of his girlfriend on a USB drive so he can just watch it again and again. He just like everything about him just made me excited to kill him in various ways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Understandable. As I say, they really go for it with some of the caricatures yeah. of evil that the targets are. But yeah, this one might take the biscuit i think and ken morgan has some some interesting quirks as well in one of the opportunities i think you dress up as one of the the hotel guys the concierge you know, luggage mm, carriers yeah. i mean you're the cleaning stuff and you go up to his room with him and you're forced to follow him around oh, that's right while yeah. he points out <laughs> yeah. stains and stuff yeah. that haven't been oh, cleaned yeah. properly 
I hate people who treat service staff and, you know, waiters and anybody who's just trying to get by helping you out, but people who talk to them in that way. And it's exactly what you would imagine, you know, some wealthy American lawyer going on holiday to this vastly fancy hotel in Thailand. It's just how you'd imagine that someone like that would treat the staff. And it, it comes down to, I mean, quite a few of his kills can be taking advantage of that aspect of his nature. I think the one that I enjoyed the most was where he demands to have some tuk-tuk that he's ridden in be delivered back to him in America or something along those lines. And you can tamper with it. And I think you cut the fuel line and then set him on fire when he gets into it. Or you um, either explodes or it sets on fire. But either way, he gets his comeuppance for being that sort of person. But I, I thought otherwise it was... It was a level that was remarkable for again the um, the color palette and the lighting mm. effects. It's set at it looks like it's sort of late afternoon, early evening. Mm. It's this huge how you would imagine uh, a fancy hotel in you know in Southeast Asia to look, and it's on the on the shores of either a lake or the ocean right there. Incredibly opulent sort of four five mm. story building with these really fancy rooms and the penthouses at the top that that each of the two characters seems to inhabit then going down levels and levels and levels down until you get to the the sort of the cleaning areas at the bottom and it's it's again that same thing that we talked about with paris where you can kind of work your way up and see all the various disguises and everything Mm, yeah but very very similar sort of vibes to the paris level from that respect for me i think this is a great level i end up kind of not liking it quite as much as Paris mm-hmm. because I don't know. I, I think Paris has a flair and like it's big and showy in its personality, that level. Whereas this one's a bit um, like the kills are spectacular, but the actual level itself is a bit quieter. And I'm, I'm going to contradict myself here, yeah. but in, I think in a way though, even though ultimately I prefer Paris, I think in a way making this, because, you know, it's a hotel. Mm-hmm. It's not a fashion show. It's a hotel. So you want to kind of project that more kind of chill, relaxed kind of feel to the whole environment. People aren't here to party. People are here to relax yeah, yeah. and kind of, you know, stretch you know, stretch out on a hammock or whatever or whatever and, um, and drink champagne and, and that. And just like I think that chill atmosphere mm. makes it stand apart from the other levels um i i one thing i i really do love about um uh, about bangkok is the fact that the the whole lead up to you going up to your hotel room um i like that there's you don't have to do it like you could just go straight into the assassinations but i i kind of like um going into every level playing out that kind of right yep collect your keys right follow me go into the thing and then just chilling a bit mm. In 47's <laughs> hotel room, and I love that they they put that animation where he could just lean out the window and survey his kingdom yeah. um, for a little <laughs> bit, and then um, and then you know, Brian, you were you were talking about um, that video that was doing the rounds on Twitter yeah. of um, Adrian 47 calling up room service and then piling up the corpses, but 
I, I love that. I love that you can just yeah. call in the call in the service and that be like the first layer yeah. of security. But but that having that be sorted in such like a comical, silly way. Oh, there's something wrong with the toilet. Oh, there's something wrong with the TV. Um, yeah, I loved that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I really enjoyed that aspect of this whole game. That kind of the the, the systems are there. In this case, one of the systems is you're allowed to call room service to your room. And yes, you you can kind of make a mockery of it in a certain way, but the game doesn't shy away from just letting you do that. If you want to keep doing that, you can. If if you want to set up things like a, like a set of dominoes or a Rube Goldberg machine and see what happens, you can. There are weird and wonderful ways, and it comes with creating distractions or it comes with, you know, setting up... Uh, guard paths to cross or or character paths to cross in interesting ways and it's just about seeing the possibilities and and much like an immersive sim just having the systems there and allowing the player to play with them uh, and see what happens what kind of beauty can come from the chaos that ensues i really like that about it uh brian uh any particular thoughts on uh the setting of bangkok or the the mission club 27 uh, just that uh, I, I, I really did enjoy killing Jordan Cross over Yeah, and over yeah again. no, that's absolutely <laughs> it's my favorite part of it. No, and not, and not to not to just belabor the same point. It just yeah. um, I found uh, much like uh, Josh said, much more eloquently than I will. Uh, it did feel like a like Paris in a lot of ways. So I didn't actually level twenty mastery this one right off the bat. I came back to it later, preparing for this show actually, and and I realized that I only got to level sixteen, and I'm not sure what stopped me. I probably couldn't put my finger on it, but it didn't just have the drive to to sort through it yeah. all uh, like I'm like I had the previous three episodes. So, but I do, uh, I, I do think the hilarity and the over the topness of the, of, of just being able to, to dress and then convincingly play professional drums is one of the funniest <laughs> oh, things yeah, in the entire yeah. game. Cause so. of course, agent 47 can, cause he has to, it's his job. <laughs> I, I might've do anything that anybody he dresses yeah. up as is required yeah. to do. I mean, he can walk on the catwalk. He can, I don't know if he actually does it, but he can uh, pretend to be the guy's psychoanalyst. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm not sure. I might have heard this somewhere else, uh, but I. I like the idea of him like preparing for for missions in his spare time, being like, at some point, I might be a drummer. So like, just deciding yeah, to learn yeah. how to be a virtual. He, he's, so. he's got a better than amateur, passable professional level of skill right. in most things. <laughs> he. Th- that's another part of the kind of James Bond aspect of the character, isn't it? You know, anything James Bond has to turn his hand to, he just happens to be unnaturally good at. To the point where you think, okay, how many decades of training must he have had? So I think this is probably going to be the level that we're coolest on, I suspect. We're talking yeah. about episode five, came out 27th September. So again, kind of that six-week cadence for, for these episodes coming out for the most part. This one's called Freedom Fighters and is set in Colorado, USA. And you have four targets and also an extra mission where you have to access a, a hidden uh, bunker um, in order to gain some information. At this point in the story, you are no longer carrying out the contracts of the shadow client. You've realized there is one shadow client who has sent you after all these targets so far, and you are trying to find out who that is. This is a big, wide level. I do like the fact that one of the escalation missions in particular showed me how quickly you can get into and out of this level if you do know what you're doing with it. But it is, I think I'm right in saying, the least vertical of any of the levels. The only place there's real verticality is really the house. 
And other than that, it's a large kind of ring around where you can just kind of run around the outside and just this entire um, camp where they've set up this uh, militia base, essentially, uh, where there's uh, kind of hackers and, and other people have come together to disrupt what Providence are, are doing and how they're controlling the world and that kind of thing. And Agent 47 wanders in there and does probably exactly the wrong thing of stopping them, essentially. So yeah, who, who'd like to start us off with talking about Colorado? Anyone got any particularly good feelings or are we going straight for uh, the negative on this? Feeling for the whole level is kind of wrapped up into two main things. I think that the four targets doesn't really allow for getting to know any of the one targets as well as I got to know the yeah. other targets in the past. So yeah. I knew yeah, some right. about Sean Rose, some about Penelope Graves, and I, th- I really thought Penelope Graves kind of had an interesting story. Ezra Berg has almost nothing to his backstory, aside from just, you know, the, the f- former Mossad uh, interrogator. And then on top of that, there's just the one exit. So you have yeah. to access the hidden bunker, you have to go in the house, and you have to get access to the basement. And to me, those two things constrict Hitman in a way. And I had gotten very used to kind of being able to do all of the objectives in the way yeah. that I wanted to and the order I wanted to. So this one really felt like it, w- it was kind of closing the box in a little bit. Yeah. And because of that, I I, yeah. I had some, you know, an overall negative reaction to it. I'm going to be really negative on this level. And it's going to sound like I think this level is bad, but I don't think, it, I don't think, like, it's fun. It's fine. It's, mm. it's. It's fine for what it is. It's just that the game has set the standard so high that this feels so pedestrian. It's not really playing into Hitman's strengths. Sure, you can dress up as people and do a bit of social stealth, but there's not that many outfits in this map, or at least it doesn't feel yeah, like no, there is. Like, yeah. there's, and there's not many layers of security. No. It, and and to me, what I what I end up feeling like is... This level would be much more fun if this was Metal Gear Solid. Um, if I was playing Snake Eater and this level cropped up and I had, you know, sol- you know, not Solid Snake, big bosses, um, you know, uh, systems and mechanics, this level would be great because mm. you can, you know, there's loads of hiding spots. You yeah. can choke people out. You can shoot people from a distance. You could do all of that stuff. Those systems in Hitman, they're good, but they're not best in class. It's the level design. It's the social stealth. That's what like elevates Hitman to kind of masterpiece class for me. And yeah, this this level just ends up feeling like lesser Metal Gear to me. And that's disappointing for this game. But it's still fun. But yeah, it it just it just feels like this this level doesn't it doesn't do what Hitman does best. I can absolutely see that. Uh, and yeah, and, until you'd said that, I hadn't really put two and two together, but the way I thought of it was this feels more like, in some ways, more like a level from Absolution with the kind of single point of exit restricting you in that way and feeling constricted, despite the fact this is a massive space to explore, but it's also not stratified in the way that a lot of the other levels are. Even though Marrakesh is very wide rather than very tall, it felt like there was stratification because there were all these different areas with different things. Whereas this one feels like it's one militia you're infiltrating, four people to take out on your way and one exit to go through. So it does feel much more like a, uh, like a Metal Gear where you have a target you are aiming for. And yes, there's multiple different ways to do it, but you don't have the 
the different gadgets and and equipment to, at hand to really make it as fun to do that as it would be in a Metal Gear game. So yeah, I absolutely understand what you're saying about that, Josh. Even though I would never have necessarily made that connection on my own, it, it's uh, a perfect read on this for me. The opportunities in this had somewhat interesting uh, kills that you you end up performing with. I think you one of them with um, Sean Rose. You set up a like a test explosion and get him to somehow blow himself up with it. There's one where you slam somebody into, um, it's like a a battering ram thing, slamming into a car. You set her up so that she gets hit by it. Uh, There's another one with uh, Sean, I think where you set off his ADD to distract him from something. And the, the Ezra guy, I think you can give him LSD to, to split him away from, from the rest of the pack. And I believe it's the other the other woman, this uh, Maya Parvati. I think you do. I can't remember exactly how it goes, but you do something with her that makes her question whether or not she should be there and whether or not she should defect. But the the outcome of it is she just kind of goes and stands by a pond to have a think, and you can just yeah. push her in the yeah. pond, which seems rather lame. So I mean, it, I felt it was okay, but. I think you describing it as more of a Hitman Absolution style level probably probably nails it for me. And with the the large military base with just lots of guys in military uniforms, although there's two or three different types, just felt very similar to something that I've played in a lesser third-person shooter style mm. game. And this is one of the levels that does actually work quite well because there's not really any NPCs. So if you want to just mess about and play with some guns and... I mean, I, I do like that you get dozens and dozens of unlocks over the course of the game for different weapons and different models of rifle and shotgun and things. And due to the fact that it is Hitman, there's not ever really a good time to use any of those no. things. You never really want to just set yourself up with a you know an automatic shotgun and just oh, go no, and blast sure, things. Yeah. But this Colorado level was one where it actually felt quite good fun to just say... I'm going to have a, you know, I'm just going to have a go at this as if it was a third person shooter and just try and kill all of these people mm. in this level uh, without getting killed myself and just work my way through the whole thing. So I, I give it props for that, but that's not really Hitman for me. I echo a lot of things that, that were just said. Um, mm-hmm. Feels very similar to other video game locales you've played in the past. The one exit thing really constrained me in the way that I would normally do things like one of my favorite things to do in Hitman is engineer a gigantic explosion that's going to or a or a or a really loud fun execution style thing that's going to alert everybody to my existence Mm. and then just sneak out the back door and it just didn't allow for that so I kind of like I said it felt constrictive so the only other uh, episode that I've put that we had an extra target on was to destroy the virus and that seems like a frustratingly narrow thing you have to do because it feels like the game tells you you need to suit up, walk into this kind of clean room area and destroy the virus from within. But actually there are deceptively quite a few different ways you can take out the virus. There are options there of how to do it. And you can kind of do it on the way past to one of your targets anyway. Whereas this did feel like, no, it it was for a story reason, we need you to go to this room. That makes sense on the first playthrough where you need to find out that beat of the story and where he's going next. I would love to see a situation where after that, like they do in the escalation missions, they open up other exits from this. Yeah, and the level has lots of exits. Yeah, yeah. It has a whole bunch of different exits and there's a whole challenge just for doing each one. I remember looking through the list thinking, well, if I've got to go to this bunker, I guess they're all for... Oh, for know, the escalation contract contracts, yeah, absolutely. Or escalations yeah, or yeah. whatever. 
where you don't have to go anywhere near that bunker or in some cases even the house or whatever. So yeah, a, a frustrating one. However, time is against us. We are uh, probably running quite long here. So I definitely want to get on to episode six, which uh, came out on 31st of October 2016, right at the end of October. So in that, I guess, seven month kind of window, seven and a half months after the first one came out, it's called Citus Inversus and is set in Hokkaido, Japan in a very high-tech medical facility where people go to get all sorts of surgeries and treatments that are not available anywhere else in the world. This is an, a specialist clinic. You have two targets, one of which is your old boss at ICA, Eric Soders, who has defected to Providence, and a Yakuza lawyer called Yuki Yamazaki, who is there to kind of oversee the defection. Uh, part of the reason Eric Soders is defecting is that he has a terminal health condition that they are going to reverse, but he has to give up all of the ICA agents in a very kind of typical, he's going to expose everyone, so you have to go in and take him out kind of setup. but that's far from the point of this level, I don't think. Um, I really enjoyed this, I thought, after Colorado, which... Not a bad level by any stretch in my mind, but definitely it kind of settled the pace down a bit and this kind of raised the stakes a little bit more with uh, a level that was kind of weird and wonderful and mazy to explore and brought back in staff areas and outside areas and roof space to explore, surgical floors, a sauna, bars, all sorts, and the, the rooms for the patients that are there as well. There was just a lot of space in this level to explore and I never really felt until I got near level 20 mastery like i'd got my head around where everything was and how it all connected it was such a like warren of of different spaces i really enjoyed this level and i'm not sure that i was expecting a huge amount after colorado the other thing is listening through to various podcasts and other people's opinions over the course of the year it felt like there was a lot of buzz for paris even more for sapienza still lots of people talking about marrakesh and then after that, it just it did seem to tail off a little bit. I heard very little about these last three levels up until the point where I played them. The touch for Hokkaido specifically having costumes that allowed you to get through certain doors. So essentially each costume has an inbuilt, I guess like an RFID chip that would allow you to go into areas that only that person was allowed to go. So you couldn't really be trespassing unless you'd done something strange and kind of broken the rules in some way. I thought that was a really interesting touch that they hadn't hadn't had in any mm. any previous levels, which made switching back and forth between costumes as opposed to just getting into an area, kind of neutralizing the people in there and then being able to move through with impunity. Yeah. The idea of having to switch back and forth between costumes and remember where all your previous costumes were, I thought was a real, it was a nice shake up for that end piece. And the other thing that I liked a lot about this level over some of the others is it's an environment that I am completely unfamiliar with. Like I had no idea what to expect out of. I knew that it was this little uh, facility in the in the mountains on Hokkaido, but I could imagine if you told me there's a hotel in Thailand or a you know a town square in Italy. You know I can picture those environments and I, I, they're things that I'm familiar with. Whereas this idea of this sort of secretive uh, medical clinic with this incredibly uh, privileged clientele is just so out of my range of experience that it was it was something very fresh for me to see it and I enjoyed that aspect of it as well. With Colorado, I described that as 
a level that would have been better if it was, you know, a Metal Gear mm. game. With Hokkaido, the the series that comes to mind is Deus Ex. Yeah. But yeah. I think that kind of pairing of Hitman and Deus Ex kind of works a bit better. Those two games are much more similar mm. in their kind of design ethos. And so it was it was really cool to kind of play through what to me felt, you know, very much like something out of human revolution. Um, but through the lens of Agent 47 and his unique systems. And yeah, like I, I really like this this level. I think the thing that, that really sticks out uh, sticks out to me with Hokkaido is that it's a great deal more difficult than all the other levels previous to yeah. this. I think um, the layers of security are just a lot tighter and uh, you have to be much more cautious with your movements and and your risk-taking. Mm. But the payoff for some of these assassinations are some, you know, some of my favorite in, you know, favorites in the game, particularly, you know, big, big fan of the heart surgery assassination. <laughs> sure. yeah. I think that's really, really funny and feels like it kind of has like the dark comedy of something like Robocop weirdly, like it feels like just malfunctioning equipment, that kind of thing. Really like this level. Mm. Um, it, it doesn't quite have the kind of, you know the the aspect that I love about you know Paris and Sapienza is that it's a familiar setting yeah. that this you know horrible man is invading. So it does feel more fantastical and more sci-fi. But within that context, I think it's really well designed. Yeah, I uh, I agree completely. It's a uh, it's got a lot of really fun setup and the the payoff like josh said for all these different layers of security is because it's a lot harder so so when you finally get that yoga instructor costume and you finally set it all up to where you get her out there and then you just push her off into the snow and then ride off on a snowmobile in yoga pants like it's like that that reward it, it's it feels a little bit more earned than some of the other uh, locations i do also Love that moment of um, if you guys did it in the challenges, uh, revealing yourself to Soders before killing him. Like I didn't think I cared about the story that much, and then and then that happens, and it's kind of it is kind of a neat wrap it up moment. It feels like the last level of a video game, while also still feeling like an open like a sandbox in this video game all at the same time. I don't really have a great deal to add, except this level had uh, a moment or or I guess a, an optional uh, thing you can do that I'm still not sure how I feel about. I think it's. It's interesting that it's in there, but it's so deeply disturbing that it's in there, and yet not out of step with what would go on in a, in your average hitman level in terms of the darker side—not necessarily dark humor, but just the darker side of society and kind of the um, that kind of um, a certain amount of viciousness to it. One of the doctors, the one of the doctors who is in charge of the heart transplant is going to happen, and is looking after the transplant heart that is stored suffers from depression and has a mood chip installed that has a remote control to it that is lying on his bed and on the way to get up to where he is and in order to distract him enough to tell the guards who are looking after the heart to go away so you can get in and potentially destroy this heart, you can pick up the remote control and change his mood. So what you have to do is, uh, first of all, change his mood so that he goes in to see the heart, and then you have to change his mood again down so he is in a depressed state so that he will leave and essentially walk away from the area you need access to. 
if you don't rectify that and turn it back, you have to be within a, a radius of him and press the button, I think. Um, if you don't rectify that and turn his mood chip back, you will get later on in the level a notification that a non-target has been killed. And it's because he will walk outside, away from the area, and will commit suicide. That, I mean, even talking about it now, I'm struggling to say it because I obviously didn't realise that's what was going to happen. When I worked out what had happened, I felt it. I felt beside myself. I play these games to, to assassinate the target, preferably in an accident, never be seen, never be noticed, nobody else dies. That's the way I play these games. It's not really a moral issue. It's the way I feel the games are supposed to be played to give a challenge and get what, for me, is the most out of them. But that series of events, the fact that I'm bringing it up here when it's a kind of, for a lot of people, I imagine, a non-issue to me, it... it it, I really struggled with the fact that that's what had happened to a fictional character in a game that I could go back into that level, he'd be there again. It, nothing happened, but to me it did. It was a real shock that that had happened. I can't say that I like that's in the game because obviously I don't like that that's in the game. It's a horrific thing. But the fact that they put this in here in a way that didn't feel like it was there as a joke, it didn't feel like it was there as a story beat, it felt like it was something that was there uh, for mechanics sake, but it also prompted me to think about what it is that I was doing, you know, what it is that I was doing to people around Agent 47 in the game in order to achieve the objective and kind of question whether the objective's worth it, if that's the cost. And that sounds like a real kind of heavyweight take on what quite possibly wasn't meant to be that in the level at all but just the questions it forced me to ask were um i'm still talking about it the game's you know getting on for three years old now and i'm still here talking about it so it clearly uh, impacted me quite a bit and i couldn't not mention it in regards to this level um it's the thing that i think about with this level most of all and yeah disturbing okay i think think probably we're going to end up skipping over some of the other uh, missions. So there was a Holiday Hoarders episode in Paris, which I think is notable probably because the two people that are your targets are Harry and Marv, essentially meant to be from the Home Alone films. That's kind of fun. I didn't actually play that. It was, I want to say, a timed bonus episode. It was certainly added into Hitman 2 as kind of a a timed thing to coincide with uh, Christmas. Or the holiday season, I guess. There was also, we've mentioned, uh, the first season bonus episode, Landslide, that was the mayoral mayoral candidate in Sapienza. There was a series of four episodes in kind of a mini campaign released with the Game of the Year edition called Patient Zero. Uh, It just went back into the same maps, but obviously different targets, slightly different setup and different storylines tying them together. And in a similar way, the PlayStation bonus missions that were exclusive and still are exclusive to PlayStation 4 are called the Sarajevo 6, and that's an extra target on each map that was released alongside the map's initial release and a kind of loose story tying together who they are and why you're after them. Yeah, that kind of rounds up all the the missions. Mentioned, I think, elusive targets a little bit. Ended up kind of missing most of those because, as John, you said, they they Mm. popped up for maps that I hadn't yet got familiar enough with or maybe even played at all to kind of get involved with. I assume we might all be in the same boat there, given we didn't necessarily play along with each episode as it came out. I successfully did one that was on Colorado at the same time as I was playing that map. And it just, I didn't find it particularly interesting. Mm. I mean, like the yeah. Colorado map, but 
it was it was just some old army guy who was in the house trying to steal information or something and it just they all generally just ask you to have a look around and yeah. there's a there's a target on the map who doesn't get marked yeah. and you kind of have to wander around the map and figure out who they are and as i mentioned quite a lot with the marrakesh map you don't know the maps and you don't have any of the unlocks or anything on them they can be incredibly difficult because you really have no idea where you're going and what might be different about the map from how it would normally be. Yeah. So I, I missed most of them because it was, by the time I played the last probably four missions, anything beyond Paris and Sapienza, it had been, well, the game had been out for 18 months by yeah. that point. Yeah. So they'd either dried up or they were, anything that was going on was was ahead of my my time but it was a very interesting idea to keep doing these things again mm. and they had um i can't I don't know exactly what the situation was but for one of them they bizarrely managed to have the elusive target be um the actor gary Boosie. that was kind of the uh, it was in the summer and it was kind of the big um announcement for that in the same way that people probably will have seen for hitman 2 the first elusive target was sean bean in a kind of mm-hmm. tongue-in-cheek uh manner putting someone famous into a level and asking you to go around, find them, and find a way to, to kill them. But timed in both cases, uh, that's not to say they won't come back necessarily. A lot of the elusive targets did kind of cycle. But yeah, you only ever get that kind of two-week window to go in and have a go. Mm. And I th- I'm pretty sure it's it was the case initially, as uh, and it certainly is now in Hitman 2, that you get one goal at the mission. Um, if you fail and are killed or your target gets away that's it you can kind of quit out the mission and start again but if things go wrong to the point of mission failure that's it you're done and likewise if you beat the mission then that's your one goal at it so they they also have that hence the elusive target it's not just a timed thing it is also possible to fail and lose your one shot to take them take them out Escalation contracts are something I really like and I guess can be basically summed up that you have five rounds generally of killing a target on a map and each round there is an extra constriction either an extra target put on or an extra stipulation as to how you kill that target the only one that i really wanted to mention was there is a vampire magician costume in the paris level and there's a really cool set of escalation contracts where (laughs) you have to get up get the vampire costume from the roof space and then make your way around the level to complete various different uh, objectives without being seen because wherever you go that costume gets you noticed so that that's again just kind of wacky good fun it's a cool idea and it's another thing this is how the uh multiplayer aspect plays into it it they're not exactly escalation contracts but anybody can create a contract yeah. using i believe any target on the map which is any npc on the map yeah. you can stipulate you must kill this person with a pair of scissors and you must not change costumes and you must then exit without being seen. And I believe you can make uh, ones that escalate yourself. In yes, that you absolutely can. A lot of that's... a lot of them are um, player made as opposed to there are there are some that are uh, developer made as well. Uh, yeah. And contract mode, something that was in absolution, but it does feel more kind yeah. of fleshed out. There's a tutorial to go through this time and um, you can kind of you play through and dynamically choose who your target is and how you're going to kill them. And then mm-hmm. you can toggle on and off the ways that you killed them as restrictions when you then post that level as a challenge, which is a neat idea. And having anyone in the yeah. level be able to be a target is, is cool. It is a neat idea, and it's nice that they've added it, but for what I want out of this game, I want the the specifically the tailored crafted levels. levels. Yeah. Yeah. 
So yeah, with the specific targets and the specific lines of dialogue and opportunities. So it's not something I spent a lot of time on. I did do at least one escalation contract mm. on on every level to see what they were yeah. like. Um, and I did enjoy doing the ones that I did, but it's not something that I would want to stick around for and not something that I particularly want to make my own contracts and publish them. Okay, we are going to have to run towards the finish line. Um, we have uh, one other piece of forum correspondence. Josh, I wonder if you could read out our last piece of uh, feedback. Okay, yes. Uh, Rich Uncle Skeleton says... All I want from the Hitman series is for the AI to acknowledge when I am dressed like a clown. And Hitman 2016 delivers this in spades. It doesn't matter that the plot seemed like an afterthought or that only about three of the episodes are worth replaying. In each one of them, and from various characters, my clown costume received validation. Except Hokkaido... Don't think I unlock the option to get out of my bathrobe there. <laughs> okay, I had uh, made some notes on kind of the aftermath and legacy and sort of talked about coming back to that stuff, but I think that stuff will suit just as well a preamble to a Hitman 2 issue if ever we get yes. there, so I think it's fair to kind of skip past that. Needless to say, John was right. The Ferrari around IO and Square Enix didn't end with uh, with this game. It carried on afterwards. We also have three-word reviews. Uh, Twitter, at Kane and Rince, on the day of recording, we post out and ask for your reviews in three words. So, Brian, can you kick us off through the ones we got for Hitman? Ben Naylor says, that drum solo. Andrew Elmore says, unqualified systemic masterpiece. Uh, Virtual video game photography. God, that could be a three-word review in of itself. (laughs) Uh, Virtual video game photography says, Sapienza is stunning. Cardboard Cowboy says, Blood Money Beater. The King Raka says, So Many Ways. Invisible Kraken, very fitting. Invisible Kraken says, A Refreshing Reboot. Chris Chung says, I Love Sapienza. Bearfish Pie says, Episodic Barcode Battler. Fantastic. Well, as expected, we had a lot to say on this. I will kick off our summaries to finish up, I think. Um, I I can't imagine who's going to be the most positive out of all of this, but um, yeah, I figured I'd take first blush. I started playing Hitman back when I was playing barely anything at all. I mentioned this on the Blood Money um, issue, but I have continued playing this series as I came back to games in a big way, and I fully expected to never see another Hitman game after Absolution. I honestly did. It felt like they didn't know what to do with this series. And and I flinched in a way that I hadn't before with the series, even through games that were less or more loved. I flinched with the release of Absolution in a way that I mentioned I wasn't sure I was going to play this game on day one, I was kind of hedging my bets on it, and I was so glad to be proved wrong. Mentioned before that I've got emotional, I've shed tears when playing many video games at characters who sacrifice, uh, at redemption arcs, at love, at loss, in joy and in sadness. I had never before that I can remember cried at level design until I walked into the Palais de Valevska in Paris. Seeing that level and seeing what it seemed to be to me and proved to be as I played it, Hitman for me is not a genre or a character or a story that I grew attached to. It's about the design and the design ethos. And walking into that place, I felt it immediately in a way that I can't fathom and I fundamentally can't explain. Um, It sounds like the daftest thing to be in tears just looking at level design. It really does. This this game brought that out of me. Um, 
yeah, words can't express how much it means to me to see Io and the Hitman series soaring like it does with this game. Play this game, I guess, <laughs> is, my, <laughs> is my suggestion on that. Uh, yeah, th- that kind of says what I have to say about it, I think. Brian, how do you feel about this game? It's a difficult act to follow. Uh, oh, well, uh, <laughs> I will say um, that uh, Hitman did have a profound impact on me, and what it truly did was have me embrace this type of video game. And by and while I think this game is is, is on its own, I th- I think that my interactions with the previous iterations of Hitman led me to kind of avoid stealth, kind of uh, not as a rule, but just I just didn't go into those games, these types of games, expecting that I would enjoy them. Um, this game has a lot of quality of life things that, that I personally love. The, uh, the one thing we never even talked about was the save system. It allows a sloppy player like myself to instant redo right where I was, you know, um, almost like a save state. And and that that allowed me to learn the patterns of the levels. It allowed me to see everything that these levels had to offer. And when you really start to dive past just the initial contracts, is there is so much here that it's overwhelming in, in, in the best possible way. And it never felt like there is a literal checklist of challenges, but it never felt like anything I had to do. I was choosing to engage with all of this carnival that they had set up for us. And and I loved it. So from from the the, the best silent assassin suit only run to you know throwing a a fire axe from across the room and then sprinting out of there like a maniac like all of that wraps into just just a fantastic experience and and even though my personal experience was marred a little bit by colorado and some of the other uh more constrictive parts of the game i feel like this game when it lets you just be 47 and go out and do things in the way you want to do them and use all of the tools at your disposal to take out your targets is really some of the most enjoyable video game experiences I've ever had. That's pretty much it for me. Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, John, how about yourself? Well, I think I uh, let the dogs out on this (laughs) one a little bit earlier when I said that after playing Paris and Sapienza, I was already very happy to, uh, to announce that this was probably my favorite game from 2016 uh, as somebody who's been a fan of the hitman game since probably as far back as hitman 2 or silent assassin as we're going to call it here with the new hitman 2 um that's three games over the course of a few years that i thought all of them were very very good and then quite iffy on absolution so this this was the the sequel and the successor to blood money that I'd effectively been waiting for for probably at least nine or ten years at that point. And I certainly wasn't disappointed with it. It it somehow they managed to bring all of the features back that I was interested in seeing of a Hitman game. And as we discussed lots of times earlier, uh, the idea of having these bigger, prettier, more showy levels with more camp ridiculous things that you could do as opposed to just you know dress up as a butcher in a meat packer's uniform and stab a guy with a cleaver or you know spend time in an underground russian prison which seems so grim but very fitting in the past i love that they could they could rework it so much into so far the other way and have it be more fun um and as as every bit enjoyable uh, to to go through the motions of those levels. And it was one of the games that definitely 
seeing the comparison pictures and videos uh, convinced me that I probably should spend ridiculous amounts of money on upgraded consoles and, and a 4K television. Uh, so it's it's got that to blame, although, you know, I don't, don't necessarily look at that as a bad bad decision. So I, yeah, I can't say much more about this other than sing its praises and I haven't played Hitman 2 yet. I do own it. I think I've just been kind of waiting for a, a slot to fit it in um, and I'm very much looking forward to it. I'm sure it's the the sequel to this that this is to to Blood Money. I couldn't ask for any more. Josh, your first fully completed Hitman, would you like to tell us how you felt about it? Yeah, I, I love this game. Um and and for for many of the reasons that has you know already been stated, I think the word that I come away from um, with this game, the word that this game makes me think of is uh, slick. <laughs> like it's just really like well designed and po- like it's much more polished than um, my experience with Blood Money. And I think it's also a testament to if one aspect of your game is just completely like, you know, knock it out of the park, you know, masterclass level brilliance, it can it can elevate all the other aspects of the game. Because I don't think, you know, I don't think Hitman is best in class when it comes to sneaking mechanics i don't think it's best in class when it comes to shooting or any of those things but it is just such a masterclass in level design like sapienza is so incredibly laid out and and just dense with opportunities it doesn't really matter that it's not best in class of those other areas because the level design elevates all of that stuff and and holds it up and and turns this this whole package into something really special and it's really weird saying all these things the saying all these positive things about hitman um the first that uh, this uh, the first in this iteration <laughs> of hitman in the in 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 the wake of having recently played hitman 2 cuz in some ways i think that game might be even better um in in the kind of like super Mario Galaxy 2 to Super Mario Galaxy way in which it's not quite, you know, it's not quite the revelation that the first one is, but it's such a, like a perfection and crystallization of what that first game was going for. So yeah, um, I'm really glad I finally got on board the Hitman train and, um, you know, both this and I'm sure we'll talk about Hitman 2 in future, but both this and Hitman 2 kind of stand as like really, really um you know best in breed one of my favorite examples of the stealth genre fantastic a lovely way to close the show i think all that remains now is for me james to say thank you to josh brian and john as well as editor ryan and all of our correspondents that you've heard from and of course you for listening If you've enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, rate, review, or best of all, head to patreon.com forward slash Kane and Rinse and get a Kane and Rinse podcast one week earlier than than non-subscribers and often a slightly longer cut, as I'm sure this one's going to be, as well as our exclusive monthly podcasts with Leon and Jay. Next time, in issue 355, we're going back to the series that popularised the fighting game genre. It may have been in exile for some eight years, but Dimps and Capcom prove that down does not mean out, as the super heavyweight returns. Nope, not Leon, it's Street Fighter 4.